Each of Olive's family members and friends is very appreciative of your attendance here today. To express your sympathy to them and assure them of your thoughts and prayers at this time. We are met together in God's presence to acknowledge his sovereignty in death as we do in life and to seek his word for the challenge and comfort of our hearts. It is God's word and his promise alone that brings both consolation and challenge at such a time as this. To Olive's daughter Sharon and her husband Malcolm, grandchildren Neil and Philip, sisters Hazel and Carol, and Carol's husband Michael, brother Ivan and his wife Anne, and to the many members of the extended family circle, many nieces and nephews there, and the wider circle of friends, we assure you of our prayers and convey to you our sympathy today. We're turning in the order of service to the opening hymn. All hymns have been chosen, as you would imagine, by Olive. And the first one, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child and forever I am. We're beginning with her testimony in hymn four, and there'll be more said about her testimony later on. But let's stand together, please, as we sing.
going to call on Reverend Brian McClung, a family member, of course, to lead us to the throne of grace in prayer. Then immediately after that, Neil, one of Olive's grandsons, will come and bring a Bible reading. Thank you. Let's all unite together in prayer. Our God and Father, we humble ourselves before thee as we gather in this place today. We draw near into thy presence, not in any merit of our own, but alone in the merit of Jesus Christ. We bless thee for the truth of the hymn that we have just been singing. We thank thee that we can sing when we know we're redeemed, that we are thy child forever. We rejoice this day in redemption through the blood, even the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of thy grace. And as we gather in this place in these circumstances just now, we draw near into thy presence. We come, O God, acknowledging our need of thee today. We desire thy presence and nearness. We desire to hear thy voice as we gather in this place over and above anything else that is said. We pray that we might have an ear to hear the word of God. We thank thee for the hope that it gives us. We rejoice that we sorrow not as those that have no hope. We thank thee this day for the hope of the gospel, the hope that is in Jesus Christ and in his atoning work. We thank thee that he gave himself for his people. And this day we come, therefore, rejoicing as well as with sadness in the home call of a loved one and a family member and a friend or a neighbor. Yet, Lord, thankful that the one who has departed is with thee, which is very much far better. We thank thee for that expectation that there is in the heart of a child of God that one day we shall see the king in all his beauty. We shall see the land that is very far off. And we thank thee that Olive has seen the king in in all his beauty. And we thank thee today for that loveliness of Christ that we see through a glass darkly. But then there comes that day when face to face we shall behold him. And, oh God, this is the hope of the gospel, and this is the comfort, too. We thank thee that this is not the end. Lord, it is a sorrowful day along the journey of life, but yet we know for any child of God it is not the end. That death is but the exit, the door, that we step through into eternity, into what it is to dwell with Christ for all of eternity. And to know the reality of those words that we have just been singing. That we are his child forever. And Lord, as we gather here, we're conscious of that need of the ministry of thy Holy Spirit to each one. We pray for those who sorrow the most today. We pray for Sharon and for Malcolm and for Neil and Philip. We pray for sisters, for a brother for the wider family, for friends as well, and all who 
have had that connection. Lord, we pray that thou will draw near and speak the word that each one needs to hear today. Thou dost know our hearts. Lord, thou dost see us as we really are. We are conscious of that, that, Lord, before thee there's nothing hidden. All things are open and naked before him with whom we have to do. And therefore, Lord, we pray today thou will speak to us as thou dost see our need and comfort and minister to each one. Challenge us, teach us to number our days. Lord, words that are often quoted maybe at a a time like this in a funeral service. And yet, Lord, we pray for the reality of those words to be applied to our hearts. And we all might indeed realize that we are going this way, each one. And there is that preparation that needs to be made for that day of our departure. That we can be able to say, like the words of Scripture, that it will be absent from the body and present with the Lord. So do come today, give help, we ask of thee, particularly to thy servant who ministers the word of God. And here and at the graveside, we pray that help will be given to those who handle the, the scriptures of truth. And we ask that for this time we will be closed in with thee, and that thou wilt speak and minister. So hear our prayer now, we ask. We pray in our Saviour's worthy name. Amen. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art worth me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. I'd like to thank Reverend McClung for opening in prayer and Neil for reading. And if I'm not mistaken, that was his granddad's Bible that he was using uh, to read from today, uh, Olive's husband, Hamilton. In paying a tribute to Olive today, I'm indebted to her daughter, Sharon, and to Sharon's husband, Malcolm, and to those who were in the house yesterday who chipped in with a little bit of information and tried to keep us on track. And also to many members and friends of the congregation here, of which she was a part for so many years. Olive was born on the 4th of April 1936 to Thomas and Annie Foster. She was the second of four children who would make up the Foster household. The family lived on a small farm in Lisnagol, Listen to ski. 
When she was a mere two years of age, an accident almost ended Olive's life. And it was one that she recounted the details of on many occasions. Her house had an open fire with a flagstone floor. And as Olive came along, she tripped over the flagstones, fell into a pan of water for scalding pigs, resulting in the kind of extensive burns that meant that the family, when they tried to remove her clothing, found her skin was coming off with the cloth. The doctor who attended her on this occasion offered no hope that she could survive. Recommended hospital. But Granny Prentice determined that Olive would not be going to hospital and instead, through her constant and loving care and application of poultices and whatever else she knew about, she nursed little Olive through this serious ordeal. And in later years, though Olive did often speak about the incident, a little scar on her arm was the only indicator that she had come so close to death. The Fosters moved to London for work for a time, then back to Northern Ireland, not this time to Fermanagh, but Belfast. And the mum and dad opened a guest house in Rugby Avenue here in Belfast, and in the process of time so it happened that one of the lodgers was a certain Hamilton Orr, a lovely lad from Dungiven, one of a family of eight. So love blossomed between Hamilton and Olive, and they were married on the 12th of March, 1957, in All Saints Church of Ireland. Olive was 21 years of age. I'm told that Hazel used newspaper to cut out the pattern for Olive's wedding dress. And I'm sure that dress looked as splendid as any concoction today. Hamilton worked in the dispatch unit of the Ormo Bakery, the place where sell-by dates and tags were applied and checked, while Olive at home at that time decided that the sell-by date for them living in this street and that one and the other one, those sell-by dates had come and gone, and it was time that they checked out and moved on. In ten years of married life before Sharon was born, they had managed to move 13 times. And those house moves continued. Sometimes they were enforced, such as the occasion when the family lived on Arden Vore Street, close to a bonfire in a public house, and Hamilton refused to join up with the Local lads, and I'll not expand on that expression, you know what I mean by that. Which meant that in retaliation they tossed glass bottles into their backyard, forced the family to be relocated under the watchful eyes of the security forces to a safe house, very safe, two streets away. Roslyn Street was where they went to. Living in that area brought them virtually within earshot of the ministry of a young and enthusiastic Reverend Ian Paisley. He was preaching at the corner of Glentoran Street and Ravenhill Road. And after the least likely, I think I'm fair in saying that, the least likely in the family, got saved first under his ministry, that was Ivan. 
The other members he invited along, brought with him, and they too, one by one, were converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us, one of many, who came to Christ in the old church down the Ravenhill Road, and that would have been in autumn of 1964 that she was converted. She lived through the halcyon era of Dr. Paisley's ministry there, moved and heard him preach in the Ulster Hall. In the new church that was built in this current location in 1969, those were the days when you had to be in church at 6.15pm to get a chance of a seat for the evening service that would have continued until 9 o'clock. The building was serviced back then by a fleet of double-decker buses and was, as people would reflect upon those days, it was packed to the gills. Though she and Hamilton went to Sandown Road Free Presbyterian Church for a while, and in my time in the Martyrs, we had two farewells for her as she headed off to Lurgan on both occasions. And actually, we were penciling in a third farewell if Olive had succeeded in her quest to arrange yet another transfer. But she kept coming back to base, to the place where her church friends and family were here in the Martyrs Memorial. She was such a faithful attender. And even in latter years, when her physical health was failing, Karen and others can vouch for how determined she was to attend God's house, even when she wasn't really able. She was a generous supporter of the work, regular participant in the weekly prayer meetings, so devoted to attending the place where a genuine gospel ministry was being exercised that she was an example to each of us. It seemed that her enthusiasm for moving house, I'm back to that, was curbed when they purchased their own home in the Beaver Estate. But after Hamilton's death in November 2010, Olive's feet became itchy again, and she moved a further eight or so times onto the Craigie Road, where even though she was only renting that property, she put in a new kitchen at her own expense and did other repair jobs as well, then to Ellis Court and Ranley Street, then to Lurgan, back to Ranley Street, off to Lurgan again, and then to Loopland Fold. And here she found the best warden in Belfast, in the form of John, and in recent times the best neighbour, Marjorie. The family are indebted to them for their wonderful care and attention. Olive may not have been interested in hobbies as such, but she had a few main passions in life. One was hats. I might have said hair and hats, because when she was well, I was told, don't visit me on a Thursday, because that's hair day. She kept the hat shop in Portadown and probably in other places as well because they're becoming a thing of the past, really. Kept the hat shop in Portadown in business and it was never a case of going in and buying one, but three. And then a few months later would be the cry, look at that old hat, I need to buy a new one. 
Her grandson Philip dubbed her the other day a free pea fashionista. And I know where he's coming from. Olive was always immaculately turned out, often courtesy of SD Kells. Some in martyrs referred to her as the Queen on account of her style. Another passion was witnessing, telling others about her Saviour. And she was phenomenal in that regard. Never missed an opportunity, forever making openings to speak to others about what Christ had done for her and what he meant to her. Those in the fold, the taxi driver, the hairdresser, everybody she met. Her actions reminded me of the old chorus, everybody ought to know, everybody ought to know who Jesus is. On the cross he died for sinners and his blood makes white as snow, loving, living, coming saviour. He's the one you ought to know. She even took the opportunity one Christmas time, I only heard about this yesterday, on the day when the Anglican bishop had been invited to deliver a sermon in a little church plant in Craigavon that became Hope Community Church, Sharon and Malcolm's place of worship. And when the bishop that day asked for someone to say a word, Olive got up, made her way to the front, and in five precious minutes gave a tremendous account of how the Lord had found and saved her by his grace. And of course, all of this witnessing was based upon what she knew of the Lord through reading his word. She didn't read novels or books in general, but she read the Bible. And of course, what she knew of God through prayer. All of prayed for so many people. You are privileged if you were on Olive's prayer list. She was a real prayer warrior. It didn't mean she didn't get interrupted because there would have been one or two and some of them are here today. And because Olive was praying and she was so low-spoken, some people who were a little hard of hearing didn't realize she was praying and in they bounced on top of her prayer. Of course, in the days of sickness, we prayed for her. There was one amusing occasion when one of our members was taking the prayer meeting here in this room. And, you know, in one of those moments that can come across where the name gets stuck in the cogs, it happens to all of us. He asked the assembled congregation that Wednesday night to pray for our dear sister, Olive. Olive, and then he thought he'd got it, olive oil. (laughs) The congregation, olive included, erupted in uncontrollable laughter. Olive was extremely hospitable. It was virtually impossible to leave her house without getting a cup of tea, plus scones and fruit loaf and cake and buns and chocolate. She had an incredibly sweet tooth, loved coffee shops, adored lemon meringue and apple tart. And though she was, in Sharon's words, five foot two, the height of nothing, and would blow over in a stiff breeze, she ate like a 
horse. Of course, there was none like Sharon. So Sharon could say anything. That was a given. Free pass all the time. And Olive did love to see her grandchildren. Philip and her shared a long-standing joke when they'd have been working together in the kitchen and the job of peeling potatoes and such like was mentioned and then they just both chimed, we're on strike. Although I understand they did go on to peel and do many other jobs together. I'm not so sure that Philip helped her in her other activities in the house because Olive was always footering. It typically took her three hours to get to bed, often only arriving to Hamilton's consternation at two o'clock in the morning. She was folding this, she was placing that, she was replacing the other. And I'm told that when she brought the shopping home, not at two o'clock in the morning, of course, but even the apples got a bit of a polish. Neil and Megan were due to make her a great granny in July, and the prospect of a great grandchild meant she was chuffed to bits. She went on her holidays, typical Free Presbyterian excursions, to Israel, to Canada, no doubt for the convention there, and each year couldn't miss the Loch Earn Fundamentalist Convention in Inniskillen. There she said with Mrs. Noble in Inniskillen, and her last visit to that accommodation was in May of 2022. Then last Friday, the words of an old gospel piece that I think I'll always associate with the Woodville Quintet came true. That will be the last moving for me. She was my first visit on a round visit on Thursday past. And the very first word she spoke to me when I sat down on the chair beside the table over at the window, where, and she'd never said this to me before, and I'm not sure too many people have said this to me so directly, first words, she said, I am ready to go to heaven. I immediately told her, you can't go yet. I haven't booked your ticket. We laughed and we talked and she perked up and she talked about getting out to church again. And though the swelling in the lower legs had clearly gone down and we commented on that, she did say, but these bandages are too tight. But regarding going to heaven, she was right. Her ticket to heaven has been printed with her name on it in the councils of eternity purchased at highest possible cost by the blood of Jesus Christ at Calvary, presented to her on that wonderful day when the Holy Spirit of God reached down and saved her soul and was finally pressed into service on Friday afternoon. That will be the last moving for me. All of was so ready to go to heaven. We'll turn to the second hymn on the order of service. I have a shepherd, one I love so well, how he has blessed me, tongue can never tell. On the cross he suffered, shed his blood and died, that I might ever in his love confide. Let's stand together, please, again as we sing. Thank you. 
Just before I call on Reverend Michael Patrick to bring God's Word to our attention today, we have a couple of brief comments from Australia, from Owen and Danielle, in loving memory of our dear Auntie Olive. We missed you dearly across the miles and years, and I will miss you even more. Comforted in the fact you're reunited with Uncle Hamilton, in the sweet by and by we shall meet again on that beautiful shore. Then, dear Mum, Dad, Auntie Hazel, Uncle Ivan and Auntie Anne, Malcolm and Sharon and all our extended family in Ulster, we wish to send our deepest condolences to you all on the passing of our beloved Auntie Olive on Friday. Like yourselves, we too were shocked and grieved to hear the news. Our loss is her gain. She is now with her beloved Lord Jesus. We have such fond memories of Auntie Olive from our last visit to Ulster in 2010. One day while we were driving to a service at Lisburn Free Presbyterian Church with a GPS system that had a distinct southern Irish accent belting out our driving directions, Auntie Olive really took to this accent, began talking back to it. When the directions would say, for example, turn left, she would answer it, yes, yes, that's right, dear. It was hilarious, had us in stitches. Auntie Olive will always be remembered fondly for, fo- for calling Francesca al fresco as a term of endearment. We could go on. But suffice to say, she was a gracious lady who always exhibited good humor and was so much fun to be around. We will miss her daily. And then they quote, Robert Murray McShane, when the praise of heaven I hear, loud as thunders to the ear, loud as many waters noise, sweet as harps melodious voice, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. Brother Michael. Thank you, Dr. Brown. I'd just like to express on behalf of the family our deepest appreciation to God's servant for all of his kindness, all of his helpfulness, and all of his ministry at this sad time. And I can also say concerning the tribute, you could just see all of so many things reminding us of her. She was a unique lady, and we do rejoice in every fond memory that we have. In the Bible, there is someone who asks the question, is there any word from the Lord? I'm glad to say, with this book of God open before me, there is a word from the Lord. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonians to comfort them, we find those words, this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord. That's the task that Olive entrusted to me. I have to turn today to the Scriptures of Truth Now, I can tell you I have things down here 
that our brother has already given utterance to. But I will just underline again, she was a lover of the word of God. And certainly in recent times, when we were in the home, she would have constrained me to read the scriptures to her. And as we turn to the word of God today, I want us all to keep in mind that testimony. How wonderful it is. I am ready to go to heaven. And of course, God's servant has reminded us that she shared that testimony with all and sundry. Did so for nearly 59 years. I could quote some of her words. We all need the Lord. We all need to be saved. Perhaps she said it to you. There are those sitting in the service today, and I know that Olive had spiritual concern for them, and they were the subject of her prayers. Maybe she said to you about needing the Lord, needing to be saved. I am ready to go to heaven. I'm going to say a few things very briefly today about heaven. Truth that was precious to Olive and precious to every Christian in this congregation today. Alas, undoubtedly, there would be some among us to whom these things will not be precious at all. And oh, alas, you see, that's just a sad evidence that unlike Olive, you're not ready to go to heaven. One of the old Puritans said that before the Lord takes you to heaven, he puts heaven into your soul. I want to turn your attention today to John 14. Going to read those opening words. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And we say amen to that. I will come Again, and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Those words, of course, are among the most familiar and best loved in Holy Scripture. They have ministered such comfort to generations of the saints of God. But to appreciate them as we ought, we must never lose sight of their context. The Lord Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, as we read in this gospel in the second chapter, 
speaks in these terms how his hour had not yet come. What was that hour? That was the hour of his sacrificial death when he would shed his atoning and redeeming blood. That was the hour, men and women, when as the great high priest, he would take our sins and our sorrows, he would make them his very own, he would bear that burden to Calvary, suffering, dying alone. That was the hour when, in the sinner's guilty room instead, he would be made a curse for us. Enduring divine judgment and wrath from a righteous God. But when we come to John chapter 14, that hour has now come. Listen to this exclamation of the Savior. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, Save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. In John 13, with reference to the treachery of Judas, we read of how Jesus was troubled in spirit. The Lord Jesus was no unfeeling stoic. Our sensibilities, our sensitivities are all blunted by sin. But not those of the sinless Son of God. That's why we sing and indeed make it our prayer. Help me to understand it. Help me to take it in. What it meant for thee, the Holy One, to bear Away my sin. Now notice carefully, in that hour of our Savior's anguish and suffering, he speaks a word comforting the disciples' hearts. Let not your hearts be troubled. Can you not see that? His thoughts are not for himself. As an old hymn puts it like this, he had no tears for his own grace, but sweat drops of blood for mine. His heart went out to those disciples in loving compassion. And he tenderly is seeking now to comfort those hearts. And I tell you, men and women, there is no heart like the heart of Jesus. Filled with a tender love. No throb or throw that our hearts can know, but he feels it above. Oh, I'm so glad for the loving counsel that he gave. These are remarkable words. Let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. 
Now understand that. Those words could only fittingly be found on the lips of incarnate deity. And if I could paraphrase them, the Lord Jesus is saying, believe in me, the God-man. Trust in me. Look to me. Lean on me. Cast your care on me. Roll your burden on me. You know, the old hymn expressed it well. I wrote out the words this morning. Is there anyone can help us? One who understands our hearts. When the thorns of life have pierced them till they bleed. One who sympathizes with us. Who in wondrous love imparts just the fairy, fairy blessing that we need. Yes, there's one. Only one. The blessed, blessed Jesus, he's the one. When afflictions press the soul, when waves of trouble roll, and you need a friend to help you, he's the one. Is that not a word for the family today? With the sadness of the law so sudden, so abrupt, to lean upon the loving breast of our Savior, to feel the heartbeat of his love that never changes and never alters. Maybe there are those in this meeting, unknown to anyone present, you are carrying a heavy burden. Maybe you're facing that kind of trouble that makes you say, I never thought I would have to face anything like this. Oh, that you would come to know all of Savior if you do not know him. Because you will find in him the best of all friends. You'll notice secondly how the Savior speaks a word concerning the disciples' home. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And just notice that emphasis. That if there would be any doubt arising, any uncertainty arising, the Savior says, if it were not so, I would have told you. These words speak volumes concerning the blessed reality of God's heaven. You'll notice it is a particular place. The language is on, mistakable and plain. Twice the Savior makes mention of that place. Heaven's a real place. It's not just some kind of altered state of consciousness. It's a place. It's a glorious reality. And I tell you this, it's a precious place. You know those words, in my father's house. What a sublime and sweet designation that is. It teaches us immediately, heaven is the habitation of God. Oh, there's mystery in this. But I say to you in a unique manner, his presence and glory are manifested in heaven as nowhere else. And all of us there. Oh, there's many things I don't understand. 
And indeed, if we're thinking about it, it's inconceivable to us. But she's there. She's there. And you know what this book of God says? In his presence is fullness of joy. Oh, we have a sadness, don't we? But she has a fullness of joy beyond all of our comprehension. But also, you see, it's the father's house. It's the home of his children. All has gone home. Certainly, I don't know how many homes she had here, as we've listened just moments ago. But truly and really, she's at home. I heard her say so often recently, I wish the Lord would only take me home. She's home. Home in heaven. Home with God. Home with the Savior whom she loved. And we can say in these lovely poetic words, gone home, not lost, but gone before, only a little while. She waits upon the heavenly shore to greet us with a smile. Now tell me, is heaven your home? Is heaven your home? Do you gladly own, as every Christian does, I'm a stranger here. This is not my home. I'm a pilgrim. And I'm a pilgrim bound for glory. Is heaven your home or is this old sin-cursing of time your home? It's only a feel of tears. Well, for all of heaven was home. It's also a permanent place, heaven. We often sing at funerals the hymn, Change and Decay and All Around. I see. But you see that little word, mansions, At the heart of it is the thought of an abiding place. And heaven is an abiding place. I don't have the time to expand much on that. The glory of heaven is an abiding glory. The joy of heaven is an abiding joy. The fellowship of heaven is an abiding fellowship. The blessedness of heaven is an abiding fellowship. Oh, it strikes a note of permanence, we might say, like the old hymn says, what must it be to be there? Again, of course, here, heaven's a prepared place. I go to prepare a place for you. Prepared, and I can only but mention these things, so precious to every Christian here. It's a prepared place by way of purchase. You see, heaven is a blood-bought inheritance. It's prepared by way of possession. Because with his own blood, the Lord Jesus entered into heaven as the forerunner to possess it for us. And hence he would say, because I live, ye shall live also. The Bible says because he is glorified, we shall be glorified together with him. And that's why when you open the book of the Revelation, where we can read so much about heaven, glorified saints 
are singing about the blood. That, of course, was Olive's opening hymn, wasn't it? Redeemed. How I love to proclaim it. And they sing in heaven. They sing of that redemption. They sing as those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's all those testimony. And she loved the preaching. And she loved the preaching about the blood. Does that mean anything to you? Every day, my witness before God, the blood's precious afresh to me. Every day. Does it mean anything to you? Oh, I trust. If not, you'll come to know what it is to be washed in that precious blood. I'm not sure how much time I've expended, and I have to be careful, but thirdly and briefly, notice how the Savior speaks a word communicating the disciples' hope. What did he say? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will Come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Two just simple things, and I've just mentioned them. His return to us. The Lord Jesus Christ, men and women, is coming again. It couldn't be any more clear or certain than the words that fell from the lips of the Son of God here. And you know, there in Thessalonians, when Paul is comforting that church, that's exactly what he speaks about. And I haven't the time to read, as I thought I might, all the passage. But what does he say? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. Olive is in that number. That the Lord Jesus in his return, if he was to return today, she would be coming back with him. Then Paul tells us of how in that blessed hour when the Lord returns, that we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Do you know, nearly every time I've read that from the pulpit in my ministry, before I start reading it, do you know what I say? I say to that congregation, when I read this passage, if it doesn't stir your soul, if it doesn't move your heart, if it doesn't excite your hope, then you're yet a stranger to grace and God. It is the passage of comfort given to us. But there's a second thing the Savior said, I will receive you unto myself. His reception of us. And now isn't that wonderful? I said at the beginning, how his heart went out to them in loving compassion. Here's his heart again. The heart of the Savior. A longing, a desire to have his people with him. And that's reciprocated in the heart of every child of God. To be with Christ. Which is far better 
There's our coffin. It's before us all. Just let me read those words. Absent from the body. Present with the Lord. If this was your funeral, if that was your coffin, would we be rejoicing in these terms? You know, I do have a solemn duty in closing. I have spoken something of the blessed reality of God's heaven. But the Son of God who spake these words spake plainly and more often as recorded in the four Gospels about the awful reality of God's hell. We live in a day and generation. Doesn't matter who dies. Doesn't matter if they were total unbelievers and skeptics. Doesn't matter if they lived the most ungodly and wicked of lifestyles. They're all in heaven. They're all in heaven. I have to, in closing, strike that note of warning. Our Lord Jesus spoke plainly and more often about the reality of God's hell. And he did so in love because we have been thinking about his heart today. You might say to me, preacher, why such an awful place? Men and women, it's because God is holy. It's because God is righteous. It is because God is just. Now, you may feel like me, and I feel it strongly, that our courts in our United Kingdom don't meet out justice. And yet, people who are not Christians get indeed concerned and angry about that, but they don't want God to be just. You see, men and women, sin that is unpardoned cannot and will not go unpunished. And if sin is to be pardoned, you have to do what Olive did all those many years ago. Flee to Christ. Go to the Savior in repentance and faith. Receive him as your very own and personal Savior. And live with that blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. The Lord Jesus has promised. From the moment I was saved all those years ago, the same year as Olive, This has been precious to me. The Savior said, Him that cometh to me, I will in no way cast out. Come. You have the assurance. Now, I know this is a funeral service. And I know there's tea. And I know what happens at funeral services. There'll be a buzz of conversational start. People chatting about this, that, and the other. But if the Lord has spoken to you, if there's any anxiousness in that heart of yours, any concern, will you speak to me?
tell me of it. This is a vast complex. We can get alone with the Bible. And all we desire to do is to point you to Christ. Point you to Christ. Maybe there's someone here you know who's a Christian or another minister present. But don't allow what will happen necessarily to crowd out, to drown any conviction and concern that the Lord in mercy has put in your heart. May the Lord bless his word. Returning to the closing hymn on the order of service, I'd like to thank on your behalf our brother Michael Patrick for that splendid and spirit-filled sermon. Very enjoyable, but a big challenge. Love divine, so great and wondrous, deep and mighty, pure, sublime, coming from the heart of Jesus, just the same through tests of time. Let's stand together, please, as we sing. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this service today. We thank Thee for every remembrance of our sister Olive, for the radiance of her face, for the testimony of her life, for the legacy that she has left within her family, circle of friends, for the message 
that we have heard today that she would so readily have endorsed because this was the testament of her belief. We thank thee that even this final hymn again is a testimony hymn. He that is Christ, the pearly gates, will open so that I may enter in. For he purchased my redemption and forgave me all my sin. Lord, we pray that I will be the testimony, not only of Olive and others here, but of everyone here. And may some pass from, I hope things will be all right, to I know For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. We praise thee that Olive did that. That faith given by thee has been rewarded. And she's now at home in the heavenly places with Christ today. Maybe each one Enter in and come and taste and see that the Lord is good, that his mercy endures forever. Answer prayer, be with the family today. Put the arms of thy loving kindness, tender mercies round about them. And may they be sure of thy presence, thy comfort, thy joy, thy peace, thy pardon, thy hope, traveling with them. Every step of the way, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There will be tea served, and if you go wipe the main doors here, turn right. You'll come across a set of lifts, and then beyond the lift, stairs, and that tea will be served immediately after the service now. And then we'll be going to Ballygoyam for the burial. Thank you.